The Teamsters will strike any employer when necessary, no matter their size or the depth of their pockets. Unions will never be broken by this court or any other. Today's shameful ruling is simply one more reminder that the American people cannot rely on their government or their courts to protect them. They cannot rely on their employers. We must rely on each other. We must engage in organized collective action. We can only rely on the protections inherent in the power of our unions. Sean O'Brien. Hey everybody, welcome to the 10 to 12 podcast, the official podcast of Teamsters Local 1150. I'm Stephen French. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. So the courts and of course the NLRB have tremendous influence on working people and on unions. Both the NLRB and the Supreme Court rendered decisions recently that have a significant impact on what we do and how we do it. We'll talk about both of those things today. So we're going to get right into it. Um, I think it's best to talk about the Supreme Court first? Yeah, I think so. We've talked about it on this show somewhat recently. Yeah. Uh, the case is Glacier versus Teamsters, and it's about the right to strike. Um, there's going to be some implications moving forward based on this law and the way that it you know goes down. Yeah, for sure. Um, so this is a case that had made its way all the way up to the United States Supreme Court. It's now getting pushed back to the state Supreme Court in Washington um, based on an eight to one decision by the federal Supreme Court. Uh, ruling in favor that the case should have been heard at the state court level. Yeah, um, a, a pretty pretty overwhelming decision, right? Only one dissension, um, and the Teamsters lost this one. Yeah, the only dissenting opinion was from, I believe, a freshman, uh, Katanji yep. Jackson. Yep. So, um, you know, this is the case, if you remember, if you listen to our show, this is the one about the Teamster truck drivers who worked for the concrete company. Uh, they called for a strike, and the a bunch of the drivers returned their trucks to the work site filled with concrete. And, uh, you know, there, there was some contention over whether they left the trucks running and the barrels turning. Um, I guess that's not entirely clear now. Um, we thought it was at the time. Yeah, and I think the case looks at, even if they had left the trucks running, was that conduct enough to protect the company's property? Right. Um, which is an element required under your right to strike. Yep. So so that's what this case is about, right? It's about um, the company's ability to file suit against the union for destruction of their property. Yeah, or whether or not that case should have been heard by the NLRB. Correct. Uh, and there is a little bit of uh, haziness to that whole argument, too, because the NLRB ended up investigating an unfair labor practice after the case had come forward in state court. And they right. did find uh, that that case should be heard. Yeah. So it is going to go back to the court. Um, l- let's let's read some of the some of the opinions from the justices on the court. I guess the um, the majority opinion was written by um, Justice Amy Coney Barrett Um And she said the union's actions not only resulted in the destruction of all the concrete Glacier had prepared that day, they also posed a risk of foreseeable, aggravated, and imminent harm to Glacier's trucks. Yeah, and the point that they were making here is that ready-mixed concrete is something that has to be made to order um, right when the trucks are ready to go out. So 
they're contending that the union was wrong and that they let them, they gave the appearance they were going to deliver this material. They had them load the trucks, and then after the trucks were loaded, called the strike. So right. they're saying that that was the aggravated aspect of this. Yep. So, so what's concerning about this case, it's not just this singular case, right? It's the implications across the board that, um, that unions can be sued for actions that they take on the picket lines or, or for striking uh, in general, right, for going out on strike. Um, it, it, the implication of this is pretty far-reaching. Yeah, you know, they don't, nobody expects them to try and overturn the right to strike overnight, but you see these small dominoes fall over many years, and these are the kind of building blocks to cripple the labor movement. Yeah, for sure. Um, And that's the big concern. Uh, Justice Ketanji Brown Jackson actually came out and said uh, the general rule that labor strikes are protected even when the the workers' withdrawal of their labor inflicts economic harm of the employer. she added that workers are not indentured servants bound to continue laboring until any planned work stoppage uh, would be as painless as possible for their master. Yeah, I mean, that's pretty a, powerful quote. Yeah, that is a pretty powerful quote. Um, and look, obviously, I think we're sitting here agreeing with her, right? Because we're we're union folks and um, we believe pretty strongly in the right to strike um, and the right to call a strike at any time. Right. I mean, the the hour came. Right. This was pre-planned. It was, hey, here's when we're going to go on strike. So the call went out and and the workers walked off the job. Um, There's some contention that the workers did the right thing by returning the trucks and leaving them running and leaving the barrels turning. Um, But then uh, I guess there's some question about whether that actually happened. Yeah. So what I read is that hinged on uh, one text message that was introduced in court from a business agent to the employee saying to leave the trucks running. But the company alleges that basically not everybody did so. Uh, and again, it only delays the hardening of the concrete to prevent right. damage. So they still had to dump all the material. Uh, the union obviously believes that, you know, your loss of product is your problem. Right. Um, but they said it's different than like a fruit spoilage or, you know, if you loaded up strawberries and they went, you know, spoiled or Starbucks goes on strike and the, the milk in the fridge goes bad. Those are different scenarios than having the company mix a material to go bring out and deliver. And that's yep. where the justices sided with the company. Yeah. And, um, and listen, if we're being honest, right, if we're having an honest conversation about this case, um, there are definitely some questions about this case uh, on our side. Right. I mean, could they have called the strike earlier before the shift started, before the trucks were loaded? Yeah, they could have. Right. So um, I think there's some legitimate questions if we're being honest with ourselves. Yeah. And the other important thing to note here is that all of the information that is being considered at the Supreme Court level was based on the company's complaint and assuming that those were the facts. Right. Um, so that wasn't something that really considered the full breadth of the union's arguments. Right. So it, it's important for listeners to understand that this doesn't mean that the courts have ruled against the Teamsters in the, the specific case, right? The Supreme Court ruled that this case should go forward in court. In state court, yep. Exactly. So we, the Teamsters didn't lose this lawsuit. Nor did the Teamsters lose the right to strike. Exactly. Just to make sure everybody's clear on that. Exactly. Um, But what it does do is it makes it pretty clear that the Supreme Court's opinion is that um, employers can sue unions. Yeah, and that they don't have to defer to the NLRB. Right. So that's concerning, right? The NLRB has always been 
the governing body over things like strikes. Because they're experts. And I should be more clear. It's not that they they can circumvent the NLRB. They can in certain cases is what this is saying. Yep. So um, that's a little concerning, right? But um, let's talk about Sean O'Brien's reaction. You read his quote at the opening of the show. Uh, Pretty powerful words there. He had more to say, right? Yeah. So he said, American workers must remember their right to strike has not been taken away. All workers, union and non-union alike, will forever have the right to withhold their labor. Um, And I think we saw when he came into office, this union, it's like a ball rolling downhill or a snowball rolling downhill. You know, it's been picking up speed. It's been gaining size. Uh There's no shutting it down. Uh, You know, no court case is going to back down the Teamsters from exercising their right to strike, especially not with Sean O'Brien leading the helm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, He doesn't seem like the kind of guy who's going to back down um, to me anyway. So Justice Barrett obviously had quite a bit to say in her majority opinion. Um, we, we talked a little bit about it, but she went on and, and said some other stuff. Um, she said, because the union took affirmative steps to endanger Glacier's property rather than reasonable precautions to mitigate that risk, the NLRA does not arguably protect this conduct. Um, so that's what you were talking about, right? That this goes beyond the NLRA's jurisdiction. Yes, they're alleging that they created an emergency that threatened the trucks and threatened the product. Yep. And again, this was an eight to one decision. So clearly some justices who we would expect to be on our side or on the side of, you know, organized labor's rights, um, they ruled against us. Yeah, and Jackson was the only dissenting opinion, and it's actually pretty rare to have a freshman dissent uh, on their own. Yeah. It's only happened once since 1991. That's amazing. So it's pretty interesting. She uh, came out hot there. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, she did. Um, so going back, this happened back in 2017, right? Um, Glacier Northwest, is, which is the parent company of this concrete company, they filed a lawsuit in Washington State Court. Um, it accused the union of, you know, intentional destruction of property. Um, yeah, a risk of foreseeable, aggravated, and imminent harm to Glacier's trucks is right. Coney's words, Coney Barrett's words. Yeah, that, that seems a little A little bit extreme, extreme to me. right? Yeah. yeah. I mean, that's the risk of your business running a concrete business. It's no more heightened than any other day of the week. Right. So. And what's interesting, too, is that this case was being handled at the, well, it was ruled on at the Supreme Washington Supreme Court level, and then it was arbitrarily picked up by the federal Supreme Court and now sent back to them. Yeah. How did that happen? Because I'm not clear on that. I'm not entirely sure. Yeah. It's something I probably should have looked up I before mean, this. I mean, don't, doesn't there have to be like a, an appeal there might have been supreme court yeah um there must have been so the lawyer for glacier northwest he he made a statement as well his name is noel francisco um right after the ruling he was heard to say um that this ruling quote vindicates the long-standing principle that federal law does not shield labor unions from tort liability when they intentionally destroy an employer's property And again, the question here is, was it done intentionally? Um, I guess you can make the argument, again, if I'm being honest, right? You can certainly make that argument. I think if we were on that side of the of the case, we could make an argument that this was done intentionally. Again, they could have 
They could have called the strike earlier than they did, uh, but they didn't, right? And they called the strike while trucks were on the road with the product in the trucks. So I think, honestly, it's a pretty easy argument for their side to make, um, which I guess the Supreme Court agreed with. Yeah, but, you know, then you consider Jackson's side and her view, you know, the the whole, it might have been extreme, but the indentured servant quote, right? Mm. Should you, if you didn't call the strike, we don't, we, we're not in their shoes. We don't know why they waited until after the trucks were loaded, but right. let's not assume malice. Nope. And let's just say, you know, they, for whatever reason, called it after. Should they now have to go deliver that concrete? That's right. a hard pill for me to swallow. Yeah, absolutely. You're I don't on know, strike. Right. Yeah, I don't know either. So that's a really good point. Um, and that's why we have the NLRB. Right. Right. Um, that's why we have a professional board who deals with only these cases, and their expertise is supposed to be the one that we defer to. I'm really curious to see what the Washington State Court does with this, because, you know, as we know, it, being in this business, it's really hard to prove intent. Yeah. Right. And, and I think... Um, as the folks who are bringing this lawsuit forward, Glacier needs to prove that, right? They need to prove that this was intentional. And I, I think that's a tough thing to do. Um, again, I think it's an easy case to make that the suit should go forward, which is why it's going to go forward. But um, I think it's a really tough case for them to win. Um, I'm very curious to see how it lands because I think that really has implications, right? If you can just arbitrarily uh, make an accusation against a union that that, you know, something that happened was intentional and then win based on really no evidence that that there was intent there. Yeah, it all hinges on whether or not there were affirmative steps to endanger Glacier's property uh, rather than reasonable precautions to mitigate that risk. Right. And, And, you know, there's a lot to that. There is a lot to that. And if they you know, if if the drivers had pulled the trucks over to the side of the road and left them, um, you know, uh, okay. Right. But they didn't. They, they returned w- them to the yards. They kept the drums running. Yep. You know, and maybe you have to, in my opinion, look at if the company knows they're hinging on a labor dispute, have you trained your employees on what you want done in the event they call a strike? Because right. in my opinion, some of that should fall on you as the employer. Hey, yeah. you know, in the event you guys go on strike, don't forget these trucks cost millions of dollars. They're yep. loaded with concrete that'll harden. Here's what you're expected to do. Right. I mean, just like, you know, just like Sikorsky Aircraft did, right? When we went on strike in 2006, they just kept on going and building helicopters when we were out there on strike. How'd those turn out? Oh, wait. No, they didn't. They built one, didn't they? <laughs> yeah. They, they didn't Can you out. call it building it if it has to be rebuilt? I don't no, know if that's accurate. They, I'm they took a lot of pictures. They took pictures of people with tools in their hands and parts in front of them. But um, I, 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 didn't. I don't think they successfully built it. I don't think they did either. I was kind of being tongue in cheek when I said that. Um, but you're right. You know, employers, you know, I, I hate to even say it, but you would think that they're making plans, right? Should be. Like you said, they're in the middle of a labor dispute and they, they – um, you know, they see the possibility of a strike coming. Wouldn't they at least train some managers and supervisors how to how to empty a truck? You know, and you see cases where employers hire scabs to come work to protect their profits. Um, but why not protect your equipment as well? Yeah. And I'm not saying you should go hire scabs. <laughs> Just to be clear. You're not? Okay. No. That's good. Um, Sean O'Brien got a little nasty, right? Um, when, you know, again, he's he's a militant guy. So um, one of the things he said uh, was, uh, quote, the political hacks at the Supreme Court have again voted in favor of corporations over working people. 
these corruptible justices should be ashamed of themselves for throwing out long-standing precedent and legislating from the bench. The ability to strike has been on the books for nearly 100 years, and it's no coincidence that this ruling is coming at a time when workers across the country are fed up and exercising their rights more and more. Make no mistake, this ruling has everything to do with giving companies more power to hobble workers if any attempt is made to fight back against a growing system of corruption. Wow. I think he made uh, made his feelings pretty clear yep. there. Um, not a fan of the Supreme Court, Mr. No. O'Brien. Not, doesn't seem like the present court is his favorite. <laughs> <laughs> so... So this is a case that's really important. We're going to keep our eye on this case, right? We're going to keep watching it. And as that lawsuit goes forward, we're going to follow it and keep you updated on on what it looks like because that that decision on that lawsuit is going to be pretty important to us and to every union worker out there. You know, that case shows how the Supreme Court impacts our labor law. Um, But I think the next case we're going to talk about shows how another body can influence it as well. Yeah, and this one went... This one went better for us. Right. So our next case talks about the changes at the NLRB, and we've seen a lot more labor-friendly policy come out of the NLRB in the past few years. Um, So it's very interesting right now. You see kind of a polarizing difference between the Supreme Court and the way they're ruling against workers and then the NLRB working in favor of workers. And one of the cases that has recently been changed, uh, it's called Lion Elastomers, um, and it's a case that overturns a pre-existing case, General Motors, so we talk about General Motors. Um, in fact, I, I personally talk about it every time I train a new steward um, here at Local 1150 because it's a really important case that kind of changed the way we're allowed to behave within the grievance procedure, right, during the grievance procedure, during what they call protective protected activities. Um, so under the General Motors case, We lost the uh, protection that we had in the grievance procedure when we use, I guess you could say, extreme language, right? Um, You know, profanity. Heated language, raising your voice. Yep. Um, Maybe even, you know, calling names and things like that, right? And and, um, what I've always referred to as the salty language clause. Right. And, and that that was a nickname that was that goes back to the 70s. Um, the salty language clause, it allowed an argument to be an argument. Right. And if people's emotions got a little bit um, a, a little bit elevated, um, that was OK. That was protected. And, and we we lost that protection in General Motors. And that was in 2020 where we lost that protection. Yeah. So it's very recent. Yeah. Um, I was a steward at the time. And I remember when we heard about this, it was like, oh, wow, this is a big change in the law. Yeah, it is a big change. Um, and now we've seen it reverse course only three years later. Yeah. So um, in this case, Lion Elastomers, it directly challenged that ruling. So the issue at hand is when an employer can discipline an employee who who makes offensive comments or, you know, raises their voice or, um, you know, calls names, whatever, um, while engaged in, like I said, protected activity. Um, and in, in this particular case... There was a longtime employee 
um, along with a union representative. They were ultimately, both of them were ultimately fired after engaging in this profanity-laced verbal altercation with management on more than one occasion, right? So I guess there were two instances um, where this happened. Um, in, in one instance, the employee, you know, got angry um, and became confrontational when he was being questioned about grievances that he had filed on behalf of other employees. I guess that was, you know, a common practice in that particular employee environment. Um, that doesn't happen very often here. But um, and in the second time, the second instance, um, the employee had this outburst um, toward a manager while he was making complaints about working conditioned. Uh, sorry, working conditions. Um, the employer made the case that the employee's outbursts were not protected under the NLRA, even if they took place during union activity. So that's, you know, that's the way we taught our stewards for a few years, right? That that was the case, right? You're not necessarily protected anymore. Um, but this union, they challenged it and um, the NLRB ruled in their favor. And essentially throughout the 2020 decision in the General Motors case. Yeah. And so it's important to look at the reason why this is protected activity, right? This is labor law. It's protected activity. Um, and the reason why they allow these exceptions is what I meant to say is because it's the importance of having this protected activity. You can't argue about your working conditions in some cases without getting passionate. Sure. And you shouldn't be able to be fired because you raised your voice because they did something that was against your contract. Right. Same thing with harassment. Harassment is a hot button issue. If you were to, as a steward, walk up and see them just lambasting an employee you represent, it's obviously, you know, warranted that you're going to be, you know, upset about that and rise to the same level as them. Absolutely. Those are the reasons for these protections. It's not to give a steward a free pass just to walk through the plant and say whatever they want. Right. This is to protect you while you're working under a protected activity. Exactly. And listen, I, I know I'm going to get calls about this next comment, right? But you know, we teach our stewards not to behave that way, right? We teach our stewards to remain calm in the grievance procedure, to keep their cool, not not just because it's the respectful thing to do, but because you think better when you keep your cool, right? When you don't lose your temper, you think better and you're going to present a better case. That's the reasoning behind our instruction to our stewards. But to your point, it gets emotional sometimes. Yep, right? there's times and where it happens. We need to be protected in that. Absolutely. So what this does is, and this is, you know, just the legal, the legal process. What this does is it vacates the decision that was made in that General Motors case in 2020, and it restores the relevance of a 1979 decision, which was the Atlantic Steel decision. Okay, so Atlantic Steel was a case way back in 1979. It was a similar case, right? Outbursts by employees, they were disciplined, and, you know, they took it to the NLRB, and the NLRB ruled that this is protected activity because it happened during the grievance procedure. So it restores the relevance of that decision going way back to 1979. So good on the NLRB um, on reversing a pretty bad decision. Yeah. So under General Motors, it's basically two different lenses that they looked at the behavior at question in these cases. And under General Motors, basically they were allowed to look at it. Um, I forget the name of the test that they used, but they were allowed to look at it in the context of was this discipline due to anti-union animus or, you know, feelings or was it 
a way that they would treat a regularly a regular employee who acted that way. Right. And that's obviously for the reasons we talked about before, not acceptable. This is protected activity. People get hot. Um, and that's the whole reason for the litmus test they use in Lion versus Last was the 1979 case. Yep. And I think there's four parts that I don't know if you want to go into all four of them, but why not? All right. Uh, so Atlantic Steel brought about the uh, four context-specific factors, including whether the worker outburst was provoked by the employer's unfair labor practice, uh, to analyze whether the employee lost protection of the NLRA during an outburst at management. Yep. Um, by returning to a context-specific standard, the board and the line elastomer determined that each worker's outburst needed to be evaluated on a case-by-case basis, and that a worker's outburst during NLRA-protected activity had to be evaluated in conjunction with the protect- protected activity. Right. So that's important, right? What are the circumstances, right? It can't just be a blanket decision. It has to be looked at on a case-by-case basis. So in this decision, um, in this new decision, the NLRA kind of goes back to the old standards, right? Um, right. Which are now new standards. Right. Kind of weird. Uh, so and this flip-flop really just happened because of change in who was appointed to run the National Labor Relations Board. Oh, for sure. So that shows you the importance of kind of who's in those positions. Yeah, the NLRA, um, NLRB rather, is um, it's definitely a political body. The members of the board are appointed by the sitting president. So... Yeah, for sure, it's a political body. At least it's influenced by politics, without a doubt. Always has been, which is why we lost that decision, the General Motors decision, under a conservative president. Yeah, so this overruling um, it held that various setting-specific standards must again be applied to determine whether discipline is a violation of the NLRA. Right. Um, so the, the new standard, or what used to be the old standard before the 2020 change, yep. is that the employee contact towards toward management in the workplace, uh, such contacts needs to be evaluated under the Atlantic Steel test. Right. Um, and that's the four factors we were talking about earlier. Um, but they need to look at the place of the discussion, the subject matter of the discussion, the nature of the employee's outburst, and whether the outburst was in any way provoked by an employer's unfair labor practice. Right. So important. Again, it's not just a blanket, hey, I'm protected because I'm in the grievance procedure, because you're not always protected, right? If you're having a discussion about worker safety and the, the employer is being reasonable in during that conversation, and then the employee just says, you know, takes the opportunity to say, hey, by the way, here's what I think about you. You are, you're a so-and-so and a this and that, and, a, you know, starts, you know, lambasting the employer with profanity-laced um, comments. That's not protected. Right. right? Now, it, it's, it has nothing to do with the conversation. Now, the flip side of that, you know, a manager comes in, gives an employee a direct order. You're going to go scale that crane, climb up there and fix that, you know, wire or that hose on that crane. Right. Well, that's not safe. And you're trying to endanger that worker, giving right. them a direct order to do that. Right. And it's fair that the steward would be upset about that. Yep. Uh, and sure. it's fair in that case, they might call him an idiot. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> He's not doing that. You're right. an idiot. You're an idiot. <laughs> He's not doing it. Yeah. Right? That's what we're talking about. Yep, exactly. Um, so the new standard uh, kind of pulls in because obviously back in 1979, social media didn't exist, but the, social media is addressed in this new ruling. So, um, you know, an employee posts something on social media, um, the, that has to be evaluated under this, what they call the totality of the circumstances test. Um, so it has to consider 
all of the relevant surrounding context, right? So even that can be protected, right? So if my employer at the end of the day pulls me into a meeting and disciplines me for something, you know, something ridiculous, I call for a steward, I'm in the grievance procedure, I leave work and I post something on Twitter and saying my employer is an ignorant such and such and, and you know, you, you could be protected, could right, be. Be- because of the context of the entirety of that situation. Um, I will say this. We advise our members not to do that. It's never a good idea to put it out there on social media, your personal feelings about your employer. Um, that's just, it's never going to be a good situation. You're definitely going to get put through the ringer. Even if you are protected, it's going to be an uncomfortable process to go through. Yeah, it's not effective. And, yeah. you know, when both sides are so heated, things don't get accomplished very easily. So that's right. there's a, a better way to get things done. Yeah. So, um, you know, just a word of caution to our stewards out there, because I know a lot of our stewards listen to this show. Um, Keep on doing what you're doing. Right. Just keep trying to behave in the right way. Keep your emotions out of it as much as possible. Don't take this ruling and think I can change my tactics now in the grievance procedure. I'm going to get more aggressive. I'm going to get nastier. Um, that's not a good idea. We we're, we're pretty successful in the grievance procedure as it is. Uh, I don't think a uh, an NLRB ruling is is a reason to change what we're doing right now. No, and I don't think, in fairness, the last one did either. I think people just kept doing their job. You yeah, know, yeah. I, we, I signed up for this, and I'm going to keep doing it. Yep, absolutely. Um, and not to get too deep into it, but um, this also comes with some picket line conduct protections, which is really important. So these two cases that we've been talking about today um, kind of overlap there, right? So um, there, there are some protections on the picket line as well for um, how we behave on the picket line. And that's another thing that's changed a lot over the years when you look at like a strike in the 70s versus now. I mean, we're living in the day and age with cameras, recordings. I know back in 2006 they had them, but I mean, you really have to keep yourself in check and and realize that you're representing the union and the image you're giving off when you're out there. Yeah, for sure. And that, you know, that um, the whole thing that that other case is, is about is a real concern on picket lines, right? The destruction of company property, right? If you're... You know, if you're whacking the back of a truck with a baseball bat as it pulls out of the plant. um, (laughs) That would not be protected. That would not be protected activity, (laughs) right? Um, But, you know, yelling things about a scab's mother might be protected. Who knows? Right. I would just yell about the scab. (laughs) Leave the mothers out of (laughs) it. Leave mom out of it? (laughs) Yeah. All right. I think it happened. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, that's a real story. (laughs) Okay, then. Uh, So... Again, both of these cases have um, pretty significant implications on unions and on union workers. Uh, So, as always, we'll keep you updated as updates happen. Um, If we have more information about this NLRB ruling um, or any challenges to it, uh, we'll bring that to you. But that's going to just about do it for today. We got some uh, upcoming events, right? Yep. So the membership voted in May to suspend membership meetings for the summer. So the meetings are going to resume in September. Um, Like Steve said, this is a great place to get some info. You should also download our app. It's available in the App Store, Google Play Store. We put all our info in there. And then we're doing a lot on social media as well. So follow along. Make sure that you're uh, staying in the loop. For sure. We've got the TVC Golf Tournament coming up Saturday, June 24th. It's going to be at Whitney Farms Golf Club in Monroe. Um, If you're interested, make sure you come down and sign up. 
And if you don't play golf, you could just sign up for a dinner ticket. I think they're $50. Mm-hmm. Um, so make sure you go. It's a great time. And then the local 1150 Scholarship Fund Golf Tournament is going to be Saturday, September 9th. That's at Oxford Greens Golf Course. Perfect. And that's in Oxford. Um, one of the other things that I wouldn't call it an event, but it's a yearly um, yearly occurrence, the, uh, the Career Pathways Program is getting up and running again for this summer. Um, that's our internship program. We have, I believe, 46 interns coming in this summer. Um, we're going to actually do a show, and um, we're going to talk to some mentors and, and folks that, that are involved in that program. So uh, keep an eye out for that one coming up soon. So that's it for today. As always, thanks for listening. Thanks for downloading. Thanks for following. If you're not following the 10 to 12 podcast, well, shame on you. Go to Podbean right now and follow us. Remember to let us know what you think about the show. Let us know if you love it. Let us know if you hate it. But let us know something. Email us at comms at teamsters1150.org. That's C-O-M-M-S at teamsters1150.org. And until next time, I'm Stephen French. And I'm Jason Shoemaker. We'll see you later.